0: Yeah. Friday, April seventh, and this is the Dutch News podcast. Your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Molly Quell, a contributing editor at Dutch News, and with me today is my colleague and fellow contributing editor at Dutch News, Gordon Darrick, and the world's foremost Oranje Tart expert and master student in civil engineering, Paul Peters. How are you guys doing this
1: week? fine yeah yes yeah, i have exam week now so it's a stressful week i'm sorry
0: that's 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 terrible the
1: library is uh, lucky for me is open to 2am so yes have you been
0: staying there until 2am
1: Yes Yeah mm-hmm. No <laughs> Not doing anything else <laughs> I was dr- drinking beer one, <laughs> one of your
0: children Had a uh, exciting week Last this week Right Gordon
2: uh, Yeah he's been having exams As well He's had his traffic exam oh, okay. So yes yeah, so this is the Not at 2am
1: not <laughs> not he, well, he wasn't Saturday. in the library till
2: 2am No Or at least not <laughs> That I know good. about yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But no anyway, He's had his traffic exam So he had to learn All the road signs And uh, you know uh, When you have to stop And all the rest
1: of it On his uh, bike yeah. uh, He seems quite confident But he hasn't got his result yet Yeah and apparently That's not, t- not something They do in the UK right uh-huh.
2: No Oh, no we don't have that the uh, children learning about the rules of the road in primary school I think it's a, a good thing
1: yeah.
0: you don't do it in the US either so yeah. it's, I, I do think it's a good thing here yeah. Yeah. and I am uh, I'm very excited because I'm uh, off on holiday next week so I'll be okay. here to record we will be doing our podcast a day early because of course next Friday is Good Friday it's a holiday uh, and then I will be recording and then flying away for three weeks so you guys will be on your own please don't burn down the Dutch <laughs> News recording studio we, will, uh, we will do our best while I am gone <laughs> This week, we have an update on the coalition talks, a missing dog, and why you've been seeing a lot of photos of Dutch politicians holding hands. In our discussion, we tackle my favorite issue, no, not craft beer, but the imbergering exam.
2: So our top story is that uh, male Dutch politicians have been holding hands in public in a protest against homophobic violence. It follows an attack on a gay couple in Arnhem in the early hours of Sunday morning. The gay rights organisation, COC, has called for the incoming government to take a stand on homophobic attacks with tougher prison sentences and better education in schools. So Gordon, who's
0: been uh, been holding hands? I've seen lots of photos.
2: Yeah, there's been lots of pictures. I think uh, the first, the the most famous one has been, I think, uh, D66 leader, Alexander Pechtold. And um, he turned up for the... Um, negotiations with his uh, with his partner, his negotiating partner, Walter Colmes, um hand in hand um, and then later on we saw Labour leader Lodewijk Asse and the outgoing finance minister Ewan Dijsselbloem uh, going for a stroll hand in hand on Scheveningen Beach. So not that the binhof, uh, No, no, no. He no, 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 wasn't from, needed not far, there. Not far from the Binhoff, to be fair. He probably yeah, could have got there true. got there quickly. Was
0: yeah. Asher uh, just holding his hand to uh, console him over his uh, dust up <laughs> with, uh, with his remarks? Yeah, I, I
2: think um, Dijsselbloem probably needed a bit of a stroll and, uh, in the sunshine to yeah, to get his head together after uh, yeah he's been having trouble in the European Parliament this week yeah, yeah. he sort of
0: <laughs> opened his big mouth a few weeks ago and then didn't turn up for a Greek negotiations meeting and he's yeah. faced quite a lot of criticism yeah about... I think
2: some, some someone one of the um, MEPs has declared him persona non grata and there's now pushed push to um, get him out of his job as um, a chair of the Eurogroup which yeah. is a group of European finance ministers because apart from anything he's not going to be finance minister much longer because uh, he's a Labour Party minister and uh, they're not not going to be in government next time.
1: Yeah, and Dijsselbloem had to cancel uh, 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 this meeting in Brussels because he had parliamentary uh, uh, obligations in the Netherlands. So Deutsche right now is Eurogroup chair he is uh, also Dutch finance minister and he's also a member of parliament so he has three important roles which you know he has to juggle with that
0: well hopefully Asher made him feel a little bit better
1: yeah indeed but it all started when um, a sports journalist suggested on Monday
2: morning um, after this attack that um, men should uh, go out in public holding hands in a kind of gesture
1: of solidarity yeah, and there was t- Twitter
2: hashtag wasn't it? allemannhundinhund yes
1: right. that was uh, Barbara Baren she yeah. uh, she's openly uh, gay and she's uh, indeed also a sports journalist.
0: Um, Gordon, what actually happened in the original attack? I've seen lots of articles, of course, about the the, the movement of, of the politicians and famous other personalities holding hands, but I actually don't know what happened in Arnhem.
2: <laughs> yeah, so it was um yeah, there's a gay couple um, uh, called Goni and Jasper. They were out um, on in the early hours of Sunday morning, uh, I think walking home at about 4 o'clock, and they were walking under the Nelson Mandela Bridge, and uh, they, they, they were attacked, and uh, they said... Um, in an interview in NOS, in the that they were set upon by a group of about six to eight Moroccan youths, um, and one of whom was wielding a bolt cutter. Um, wow. So, and, and uh, one of the victims lost about four teeth, I think. Um, and but the lawyer for the um, perpetrators uh, was, uh, was on television late that night, um, and he claimed that uh, they weren't all of Moroccan origin and they didn't have a bolt cutter. And he claimed that the couple started the fight. Um, but anyway, six people have handed themselves into police were arrested um, five of them were teenagers the other one's 20 years old and the teenagers are now being um, uh, let out while the police carry on investigating yeah
1: and um, later that day the or the next day Arnhem lit the, um, the Nelson Mandela bridge in the colours of the rainbow mm. flag you know
0: in a country that is so known for its uh, acceptance of homosexuality I mean one of the first countries in the world to have gay marriage and all this kinds of stuff mm. like is this a th- Thing that happens here fairly often. Yeah, has it, it been getting worse?
1: It, it happens quite often, indeed. Uh, I think that the very day after this incident in Arnhem happened, two other incidents were reported in Eindhoven and in Amsterdam as well. And it, it always, you know, uh, sparks this uh, debate about is gay acceptance in the Netherlands just as well as we tell other countries that it is. Yeah,
2: and certainly it's, uh, it's interesting. I think that um, that men holding hands in public is still and um, you know it's still the exception and not the, not the rule. Yeah, they are bit. literally
1: scared about <laughs> no. uh, holding hands with their partners in public. And that's that was also, also the criticism of this hashtag, uh, man mm-hmm. holding hands. Uh, I mean, very nice of you that you are holding hands at the Binnenhof uh, 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 Square, but do this in Amsterdam West uh, on Saturday night mm-hmm. and, you know, you will find a different experience. Right.
2: Yeah, I mean certainly the COC, uh, as it happened on Monday, um, coinciding with this, uh, sent a letter to Edith who's chairing the coalition talks, saying this, uh, pressing for this to become an issue for the next government. They they say that the number of attacks has gone up four times in the last six years, um, from 400 in 2009, um, and they they say that there should be tougher prison sentences, better education in schools, and also the police training college should focus on it more, and that police should be specifically trained in dealing with homophobic attacks, was because apparently only nine people were convicted.
0: Yeah, and we talked a bit about, uh, a few weeks ago, about uh, trying to increase diversity in the police force. Of course, I can imagine that, inevitably, that there are some people in the police force who are probably not the most open-minded folks, and so you're probably unlikely, if you've had a bad experience with the police as a gay person, to be willing to report, yeah, these sorts Mm. of crimes. (laughs)
1: Alexander Pechtold was holding uh, hands with uh, Mr. Colmace and he was on his way to uh, Edith Schippers and she was chairing the uh, first week of the uh, coalition negotiations with uh, Prime Minister Mark Rutte, uh, Siebrand Buma of CDA and uh, also Jesse Klaver of GroenLinks. Thursday evening uh, Mrs. Schippers uh, informed the king about the negotiations and after that she held her first weekly press conference. And this is new because uh, usually these negotiations are done in silence, especially because Prime 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 Minister Rutte insists uh, notoriously on radio silence during these negotiations. Um, so it wasn't expected that Mrs. Schippers uh, would be saying much, but surprisingly, she was very open-hearted.
0: Um, so what did she say uh, at this press conference? Well, I didn't y- catch it this week.
1: Yeah, well, she, yeah, it was uh, it was yesterday evening, so uh, that's probably why. Quite um, possible. <laughs> but she was very open-hearted, as I said, and she she told the press what what they were talking about, and this included the uh, budgetary framework, and that is uh, the Hagish for how much money can we spend. And the other topics included the climate, the job market, mobility and immigration. But Schipper she stressed that uh, they are very far away from any sort of agreement. Um, parties agree however that they first need a vision for the country because quote this combination needs to be held together more than any other combination that's
2: an excellent that's a
1: great quote what does it mean it means that (laughs) what's that hages for (laughs) (laughs) that's hages for well these parties are very far apart in any sort of you know agreement so they need a a firm firm uh, uh a vision of the country before they can you know Start negotiating in uh, uh, the government. So they're still really at the outline stage. They haven't got into the real detail of it. Yeah, 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 they're not even in the outline stage. I guess these are just all preliminary talks.
0: So this press conference was last night. Are they continuing negotiations today, on Friday? Uh, No,
1: not on Friday, because Jesse Klaver's papadag is today, according (laughs) to the Telegraaf newspaper. But Prime Minister Mark Rutte also has ministerial councils on Friday. And so
0: they'll be next be in and on on, uh, Monday morning, right?
1: Yeah, they they negotiate on Monday morning. Uh, They have morning sessions from uh, 10.15 to 12.45, and then an afternoon session from uh, 2 to 5.00. Uh, Not on Tuesday, because then uh, Parliament is voting and, you know, three of the four negotiators are also MPs. And uh, what about uh, Rütters' teaching job on Thursday mornings? Is he still doing that? Mark Ritter
0: has a teaching job.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's a um, social study teacher.
2: No, no, he mentioned this the day after the ele- or the morning after the election. He said that they said, well, "What are you going to do uh, today, Mister Roto? And he said, "I'm going to go go and teach because yeah. he does it every week. He's been doing that for <laughs> six years now." So, has anyone else um, been at the negotiation table apart from the four parties and their num- and their deputies?
1: Uh, no, th- uh, the the first few days, uh, bec- because they were working on this vision for the netherlands they invited all these experts from uh, from outside politics so they uh, invited the uh, head of the social and cultural planning agency the head of the uh, planning agency for the living environment and also the head of the uh, social economic council so a lot of (laughs) professionals and a lot of experts coming in and telling them uh, what they think uh, should happen. And also um, the Ministry of Finance made a 500-page document with suggestions about what the new government could do. So that's why Dyson
2: Bloom hasn't been in Brussels this week. So now he has his 500-page Yeah, on the beach. On the beach, yeah. And, yeah, and uh, so it's obviously it's boom time for lobbyists then. If, um, Indeed. They're, 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 they're all trying to get their oar in. So I see the trade unions have been um, turning up as well and writing letters. and uh, Yes, and
1: not only the trade unions, also Tony Chocolonely, the... Uh, <laughs> Chocolate. The chocolate
2: company. Yeah,
1: this Fairtrade Dutch uh, chocolate company. They uh, they were handing out chocolate bars at the Binnenhof. Uh, I think it was on Wednesday, mm-hmm. in the hope that uh, 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 someone would bring it in and give it to the uh, negotiators. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, talk about uh, 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 fair trade and yeah. about the environment. Unfortunately for Tony, uh, uh, there is this security guy of the Binnenhof. He is two meters tall. He's very large and he didn't let any chocolate go in. He ate it all, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> probably, yeah. probably so, 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 so,
2: no chocolate with the, uh, with with the coffee while they goes go. so negotiating. You need something to munch on when you're sitting around the table all day. Uh, yeah, they get people, one you. cookie yeah. and yeah. one A very one, small one. Yeah, and yeah. one cube of cheese,
1: and, and they pizza. have to have all of the
0: receipts for it, yes, right? Indeed. <laughs> We have a bit of an op story that happened this week as well. Yes, high street chemist Krautvat caused a bit of a a dust-up this week when it was noticed that they were selling a children's colouring book, which included a picture of Hitler. Wow. So, Paul, you're designing colouring books now.
1: (laughs) Yes, indeed, I am.
0: This book was uh, produced by a Belgian publisher and featured well-known figures of the past um, in the world. Uh, The incident was brought to light after customers posted a completed photo on the company's Facebook page. (laughs) Yeah, and it
1: was (laughs) very well-drawn, Yes. After, yeah, uh, yeah,
2: that's yes. Good. Yeah, they, so, so they wait to colour it in first to make sure they got every detail of Hitler's yeah. moustache um, you know, and his brown shirt yeah. and, his yes. and his raised arm. Yeah. Only then were they offended.
0: The book was only on shelves for half a day and has since been withdrawn. Um, but my favourite sort of part of the story is is that the publisher's spokesperson said, and I quote, my suspicion is that the man who created the colouring book got a book of famous people out of the closet and selected a pair, which unfortunately included Adolf Hitler. Maybe he did not recognise it. <laughs> <laughs> I have thought that He's a different.
1: very unknown figure in world history. It's I really very to, true. It? Yeah. Yeah. Though I'd have thought the
2: little swastika on his sleeve would have uh, been a bit of a clue. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: you would think so. So I, uh, I, I this week joined the uh, army of people who have purchased adult colouring books uh, although mine was oh from wow. Hema so I want to give it a, a flip through and make sure there's no no pictures of I yeah. don't know Lenin or, or uh, you know Pol Pot or <laughs> anything like
2: that I think this could be a thing actually you know, I fully expect that by Christmas somebody will have uh, produced a complete book of um, colouring pictures of dictators well, <laughs> yeah. that sounds excellent yeah.
0: okay <laughs> w- uh, trademark this idea and we're <laughs> yeah. going to start working yeah, on we're
1: it the, the Dutch News Dictators Colouring Book yeah Dutch
0: <laughs> yeah, News yeah,
1: Podcast yeah. Dictators <laughs> Colouring Book a podcast merchandise I love it yeah, yeah. and the Kruidfot uh this, uh, social media team—they had a, uh, they had to spend two days of you know telling people that we're not selling these coloring books anymore. <laughs> Don't yeah. ask us about this.
0: <laughs> yeah, I feel bad for the social media interns that yes. had to do double duty on
2: that. In sports news, Feyenoord have taken another step towards their first Dutch league title in 18 years with an eight-nil thrashing of Go Ahead Eagles. Jens Tornstra hit a hat-trick and Dirk Kaut scored his 150th Eredivisie goal in the Rotterdam club's biggest league win since 1987. Feyenoord remained three points ahead of Ajax, who beat AZ 4-1 at the weekend. PSV's title defence looks to be over after FC Twente scored an injury time equaliser on Thursday night in a bizarre match that was overshadowed by police trying to clear the stadium during the game because they suspected supporters of drug dealing.
0: Gordon, what happened with this? I saw these, these headlines on Twitter this morning and I was like, what even was going on It's totally here?
2: bizarre. Basically what happened, I think um, about 15 minutes from the end of the game there was an announcement um, over the tannoy um, asking everyone to leave the stadium, first of all, uh, at which point the supporters obviously... During stopped. the game. During this during the game. The game's going on while okay. this is all happening. And they continued stop.
0: playing during the this- they continued playing during
2: this whole thing. Yeah. First of all, they wanted to clear the stadium, and then I think the police um, said, "No, the exits are blocked. You can't leave." And eventually, they they sorted out. They narrowed it down just to one block of support of home supporters um, down at the bottom of the stadium, and they wanted to basically keep all those people in and search them because they they, they suspected that people were dealing drugs in the stadium while the game was going on. Um, and obviously, the supporters didn't take kindly to this. It was the you know the section of home supporters, you know, sort of the, the, like the, the rowdiest supporters. So they started then, you know, uh, kicking off and having ago at the at the riot police who'd gone in to to try and carry out the searches, and while all this was happening, you know the game just carried on, and eventually, <laughs> PSV who were leading at this point uh, eventually then conceded a late goal. But wow. but no, it's just, just a bizarre thing. Of course, the atmosphere yeah. was was completely surreal because yeah. uh, no one was paying attention to what's going on the pitch. Everyone's booing, and you know, and and all these announcements coming over in the tannoy saying leave the stadium, don't leave the stadium. Uh, yeah,
1: it, it seems like. <laughs>
0: Interrupting a football match with a bunch of soccer hooligans to send in the riot police is like possibly the dumbest <laughs> thing I think I've ever heard.
2: Yeah, yeah, but yeah, but, but the police said it was justified, and they did find some drugs. So okay, you know, well, great, I'm glad they found someone. So yeah, so, so yeah, so, good, good. Perhaps they interrupted a whole match to, uh, <laughs> yeah. to to find a couple of, and then they also then raided three houses in the town and found some replica weapons and right. what they said was a supply quantity of hard drugs. So they couldn't have um,
0: just raided the houses while they knew all these people were. At exactly. the yeah,
1: match, yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You should join the police force yeah, in, I know
0: uh, Please yeah, call today. me I'll advise you On, <laughs> on some practical issues um, but there's other good news for for Feyenoord this week, right?
2: Uh, yeah, they've got a new shirt sponsor. Oh, so yeah. the uh, energy company, Current, um, have, uh, yeah they, they negotiated a four-year deal worth uh, four and a half million euros a year. Could mm-hmm. go up to six million with bonuses. Um, Feyenoord has been sponsored by Opel for the last
1: four years. Well, I'm glad my
0: energy uh, money is going to <laughs> sponsor the, yeah. uh, the Feyenoord. Well, uh,
1: team. when Ajax was sponsored by Ziggo, this uh, cable television company, there were Feyenoord supporters who, you know, Quit their sigo uh, 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 contract. Yeah, but- yeah, this
2: is, this is, this is always the, the danger. In fact, this is why um uh, in Scotland for for a while Rangers and Celtic always had the same shirt sponsor for exactly <laughs> that reason <laughs> that they shared shirt sp- sponsors because if they had, if they had different sponsors then you know, th- then their supporters would boycott whichever company was sponsoring the other team. Wow, interesting. <laughs> I'll have to
0: consult with my Dutch boyfriend about whether or not we are uh, cancelling our energy subscription <laughs> with parents <laughs> over that.
1: Yeah. We've seen countless reports and researches about uh, work stress in the Netherlands, but this week the Dutch statistics agency CBS published a report in which they searched for the most stressful job in the country. Among the most stressful jobs were unsurprisingly people that deal with life and death, such as uh, doctors or other medical professions, but also teachers and managers. The most stressful job in the Netherlands, however, is being a chef. Why? Well, um... uh the the researchers they said well in all these different kind of work fields you deal with different kind of stress so uh, uh, uh emotional demanding uh jobs such as being a doctor it's a different kind of stress than being a manager but a, a chef needs to you know perform uh and and work very hard in a very short amount of time and that during an evening In different sequels, yeah, I can
2: see that. And and, and all that shouting at your staff in the kitchen as well. Exactly, and all that swearing and uh, all this
0: boiling water and and uh, knives. Yes, and and, uh, I can see
2: that.
0: But Paul, I hear that you are uh, among employed in among the least stressful jobs.
1: Yeah, that's true. Uh, Among the least stressful jobs are uh, security uh, officials, drivers, gardeners, uh, children's daycare, which is surprising to me actually, because that's that sounds like my be- I Just was going to say be being a children's
0: earth. daycare provider is literally my version of hell <laughs> Yeah. So.
1: but the least stressful job is a taxi driver and, and I, why is that do you um, know yeah it has to do with uh, the fact that taxi drivers can decide for themselves at what time they're working and not and that 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 freedom just helps uh it's very stress release mm.
0: so was podcast co-host listed on here <laughs> and what was the level of stress of that do you uh, know
1: yeah that's even even stressfuller than uh, than, than being, being a, a chef, chef. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah
0: yeah i do yeah. find this quite stressful
1: yeah, I yeah, must say. Say that, that's why i have about so sort of six cups of
2: coffee in the course <laughs> of the podcast <laughs> And a stressful situation uh, this week as well for a dog owner, um, who's taken the public prosecution service to court for losing her dog. Uh, Rex uh, was confiscated after biting two children and a cyclist in a playground, and his owner Dora Rodic from Dordrecht was ordered to pay a €500 fine. A judge later decided Rex wasn't dangerous and could go free, at which point prosecutors had to admit that he'd gone AWOL.
0: This so I said that being a childcare provider would be my worst nightmare. That this would be hell. I take that back. <laughs> Having my dog confiscated by the police and then the police using him, losing him is would literally be my worst nightmare.
1: <laughs> and and what kind of dog here is
2: this? Uh, he's a Malinois, which is or uh, Mechelseherder um, uh, in Dutch, was a, a uh, type of Belgian Shepherd. Which uh, perhaps explains why well, 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 might explain why he went missing. Perhaps he went back uh, over the border.
0: So <laughs> Gordon, what happened with the dog? Where is the dog? Do they well, know?
2: Well, originally they said they didn't know where he was when she first asked them, uh, but then when she pressed them a bit they they said that um, uh, th- that he'd been um, uh, placed with a new owner and uh, they said he was taken into kennels a secret location and they found that he was um,
1: uh, there are secret kennels in the Netherlands apparently there are <laughs> secret dog kennels yes for
2: convocated dogs uh, yeah. you find out all sorts of things um, but they then said that the, they realised that he was um, capable of being retrained um, and they claimed that he'd be, become estranged from her so therefore she couldn't uh, be viewed as his owner anymore and they were free to just go and find a, uh, a new uh, companion for him. Um, and that's the case that they took to court. Wow. Um, this is bizarre. <laughs> this is very bizarre. So what,
0: is, what does she say? I mean, obviously they're contesting
2: that. Yeah, they're contesting that. And she's um, what she wants the court to do, she wants an injunction where the court demands the police to give the dog back within seven days. And her lawyer says it's a big scandal and his client's distraught. And he's basically accused the justice system of uh, treating pets like items of property. Rather than you know lifelong companions that you well they're lifelong anyway that rather than lifelong companions that you you know you form an emotional bond with and all the rest
1: yeah yeah well, but as,
2: as a dog owner well, you can imagine it would be pretty I kind of thing want to go you... check
0: on Murphy right yeah. now and just make sure the Dutch police have not confiscated him yeah. I would be devastated yeah. I mean I you know I do have a dog and I I'm quite attached to my dog I think as our listeners anybody that's listened to this podcast probably knows <laughs> I usually work away and to talk about him but yeah I mean it seems absurd to me that they could they could confiscate a dog like this and then just give it away to someone else while this court proceeding I mean I, I could understand that I, the judge I, sort I, of ruled that you know she was abusing the animal or whatever yeah. but that's not the case not here the case.
1: I'm wondering what, what, what period of time you're talking about if that dog was confiscated for more than a year or two years I mean okay that then I, then I can understand it but I think this is uh, a much shorter it time, a short right? yeah, time it was a short period yeah it wasn't right? long. I don't think for a few months maybe I'm yeah. not quite sure yeah. but yeah, uh, yeah. And, uh, I
2: don't know what, uh, how, they did decide, how they could determine that he'd become estranged from his owner that's
0: yeah uh, well, I hope Rex uh, is is living a good life somewhere, and that this all uh, gets sorted
1: out. He probably has a different name now. And I swear
0: to God, if the Dutch police come for my dog, it's not it's not going to end well for them. I, I have I know a few uh, support supporter drug dealers who uh, who might be happy to help me out. Uh, we'll be discussing the total and utter disaster that is the integration exam system in the Netherlands after this word from our sponsors.
1: Access is an independent, not-for-profit organization which has been helping internationals successfully settle in the Netherlands for the past 30 years. Access is run entirely by a team of highly skilled, motivated and professional volunteers who have themselves been experts. Their vision is to provide essential, comprehensive and unique services nationally through the expertise and experience of their volunteer expatriate community. You can find out more about Access and the services they offer at the website www.access-nl.org.
0: This week we're discussing the state of the integration exams in the Netherlands. It was reported this week in Trou that nearly 500 immigrants and refugees have been fined for not passing the exams within three years of their arrival.
1: And Molly, were you one of these folks who got fined?
0: I was not. <laughs> I was, yeah, for complicated reasons was not actually obligated to take but I chose to do it uh, because I wanted permanent residency in the Netherlands. If you're interested, you can follow my uh, experiences with the integration exam in a series on Dutch news. We'll post a link to that in the liner now. But in 2013 there was a switch in the system so it used to be that immigrants had three and a half years to pass the emburgering examen as it's called in Dutch and the integration courses were arranged by the local governments now immigrants have three years to pass and they must arrange for their own courses yeah,
2: and if they don't complete the exams within those three years then they, they risk a fine right
0: yeah and they can be fined up to uh, 1250 euros mm. although you can't actually be denied residency based on not passing but they can fine you a pretty substantial amount okay, of but, money. but they
1: have to pass it on their own without any help whatsoever.
0: Yeah. So some immigrants can borrow, I think it's up to 10,000 euros to pay for courses, which does not have to be paid back if they pass within three years. Mm. However, um, there's around 200 companies now offering this private course preparation, but there's like no quality control. So so
1: there is this jungle of uh, companies that offer... Right. Yeah. So it's Courses. a bit of a,
0: and it's also unclear, sort of, there's no official necessarily course preparation materials that the government puts out. Um, there is a set of course books, which I actually use to study for the exam, that are for People who are applying for what's called an MVV, so that's an entrance visa. Well, so say for example that you you are a, a foreigner from basically a non-European, non-sort of Western country, and you marry a Dutch person abroad and you wanna move here, then a lot of times they have to apply for a visa to come beforehand. And in order to do that, you sort of have to pass this kind of low-level integration course. For those people, the 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 sort of government has this kind of, like, official textbook that they use. But for people who are here and are studying for this other integration course, which is similar material but not exactly the same, there's no, like, official system. Mm. So there's some... Mm practice exams available online, which you can go read and, and find out exactly how amusing and terrible they are. But yeah, so it's a real challenge. Um, yeah. And there's, you know, of course, lots of companies who are charging people who don't know any better a, lot, a whole lot of money to be able to like sort of pass these exams. And under this new system, the pass rate has dropped mm. uh, substantially. So I think it's been cut in, yeah, it's been cut in half. The yeah. the pass rate for the, what's called the embartering exam. So this mm. is the component of easier language courses plus the culture course, plus now there's an employment section um, is down to 39% and the pass rate for the more difficult language course, which does not require the cultural course, has dropped from 20% to 2%.
1: And that's the uh, 2%? Right? Yeah. And that's the pass rate of the first time they take this exam. No,
0: this is passing in, in total. In so, total. Yeah, so oh, the in, people in, are just failing. Three years. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. So if you're a new migrant, basically you turn up, you don't know anything about the country, you've got to sort yourself out, you've got three years to pass this exam, yeah. there's a whole jungle of company, private companies, uh, offering there's a you, you can't tell you know which course you go on whether it's any good or what the you can actually check you know the standard there's no kind of standard textbook and yet if if you don't negotiate your way through this it's you that gets fined
0: yeah, yeah. and on top of that all of the information that the government does provide only available in dutch
2: oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> so first you have to learn you have to you have to learn to speak dutch before you can learn to speak right. dutch
0: one of the things that was criticized in this Trow article was that it can take up to three months to get a spot in so i had this experience when i was taking like these exams because it's it's not like they, they have an infinite amount of time to do this. And so if you fail, first of all, it takes eight weeks to get your results back. So if mm. you take the exam, you find out eight weeks later that you fail. At times, it takes you up to three months to get scheduled for another exam. So even if you you know, want to restudy and, and do it again, this can kind of very easily push you over yeah. this mm. like three-year thing.
2: Yeah, but yeah. you can get extra time, right? If you can show that you've uh, made a sincere effort to learn uh, or if you're illiterate, I think you get a couple of extra years. Yeah, right? or
0: if, yeah. You're, uh, if you have like a serious illness, although mm. it's a bit hit and miss because... So I know like from personal experience and I've had a few friends you know, and kind of if you go in and you have like a sympathetic caseworker and a decent sob story, you can get an extension. No. But I know a lot of people who are sort of in the position that I am, right? So you were, you were, a, you're a highly educated, English speaking, literate mm. person, right? So this is not sort of asylum seekers, refugees, people like that. I know people who have gotten fined um, over the years, basically because, you know, you're here and you're working. And so like you don't get the first exam passed and then you can't reschedule it and whatever. And then I know people who like have been here for five or six years and have never actually gotten fines because they've been, you know, very, you know, they have a sympathetic caseworker or whatever. So it's like very, very mm. hit and miss to see how yeah. you make these yeah. exemptions.
2: Yeah. And my burning question here is: how does it actually facilitate integration in any way by threatening to fine people if they if they don't pass their language exams for reasons which might be, you know, nothing or partly only partly to do with them?
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that... Um the language exam for the lower level, like, sort of, because there's these two tracks, right? There's the sort of, like, Berharing track, and then what's called the, like, Ente Twe track. So, like, there's this one track where you do it, and it's the lower level language exam with this culture exam. So the culture exam is the one that Dutch politicians go on, you know, nightly television and then can't, like, pass. <laughs> <laughs> Since 2013, they added this employment portion, which for people like me is even extra annoying, because the two things you learn on the employment portion are how to apply for unemployment benefits, and basically, like, how to apply for a job at hama neither of which someone like me is ever yeah. basically going to do in this mm-hmm. country so this is like this one track and then there's this higher level language track um that you can do so if you pass the language level at a higher level then you don't have to do this employment in this culture portion mm. there is nothing that i learned on this culture exam that was at all useful in sort of everyday <laughs> dutch life could
1: you give uh, a few examples molly
0: yeah so we have my uh, my my course preparation oh, book yeah, here first of all my instructor so i do have a dutch instructor and he helped me prepare for this exam and you know there's lots of like tricks like with any sort of standardized test um that you sort of learn because essentially what you're learning to do is like pass this exam right yeah um, yeah. And so one of the things that he told me is he said, uh, so the, the all the questions are multiple choice. And he said, if their answer is ever call and make an appointment, that is the correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the Dutch are sort of notorious for having offsprock for everything, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there's like lots of questions on here. So I quite like this question about um, what you do if your neighbor has a baby. So there's a question about this. And ignore the
1: person. Ignore the person. Yeah, yeah. So the
0: question is, is formulated as, you know, you come home <coughs> from work to discover your neighbor has had a baby, which is an odd <laughs> formula. Like, they're just on the sidewalk <laughs> yeah, with, like, yeah, a newborn, yeah. I they guess?
1: They just do pair. Yeah. Right.
0: And so, like, what do you do? And so your options are, I, I think, you know, bring flowers over, call to make an appointment, uh, send a card congratulating them, or do nothing. So, of course, because we, I just said you call to make an appointment, the yeah. correct answer is call to make an appointment. But nothing makes me more amused than going to a party with, like, 20 Dutch people proposing this question and watching them just argue over what the correct answer is yeah. because of course like it depends yeah. on your relationship with your neighbour and totally, all these yeah. kinds of stuff
2: no I have to say I'm, I'm taking interest in this because obviously I, I'm currently a citizen of the European Union and therefore don't have to do any kind of um, automatic residency rights but that's going to change in a couple of years so I might end up uh, <laughs> in, uh, entering into this whole labyrinth of yeah, you can pre-study, so you have, you have five years yeah but Molly so have you got any tips for, for somebody who's, being, who's about to be thrust into this whole uh, circus so
0: I think that <laughs> so it took me a good year basically from the moment that I started studying to when I passed the final exam. So I started doing this in 2016 basically January 1st. I passed my final exam at the very end of November. Um, I did pass all of mine on the, the first try not to uh, sort of humble brag about this. <laughs> um, you know four components are the language exam which Gordon because you speak Dutch is is probably fairly easy for you although there is like a lot of like weird kind of stuff on this language exam so That's, you know, that's just Dutch. Yeah that's just Dutch. <laughs> So, another sort of complaint that I had with the system is two components of the language exam are multiple choice. So, if you take the practice exams online, the listening and the reading section, right, it's multiple choice and you can get your answers, your feedback from the practice exam. So, you have a really good sense of kind of where you're at with that. Two of the portions are writing and speaking, but there's no feedback feedback Mm. because you can't get any answers officially from the government about what they're exactly looking for. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of like just sort of guesswork. So, for example, when I was doing the writing portion, poor Paul here, I would do the writing exam and then give it to Paul and then you know would sort of say like kind of grade me on Mm -hmm. this and then we would end up in these discussions about whether or not like this (laughs) sentence is completed like to the extent that they're going to want it completed like how long should you make your answer like all of these sorts of things Mm -hmm. the advice I got at the testing center the day that I took both the written exam and also the speaking exam from the testing person was to just keep your answers as short as possible because they're not going to knock you for having a short answer but they will knock you for mistakes Mm -hmm. but that's not (laughs) As far as I can tell, like, an official... Policy. Yeah. It was just like what yeah. this woman yeah. at the testing
2: center yeah, said the st- day I was there. Yeah, it's all kind of strategy, isn't it? But you don't get your written paper back. So no, you don't get so you to don't see get how, how well you did or you know wh- or where you can improve. Right. Yeah. Exactly. No. So you get no yeah.
0: feedback on any of this. Yeah, and you, um, and, and sounds spoken
2: like university. Yeah. basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the spoken exam. What is that exactly? Is that a conversation with an examiner or
0: no? So you do all <laughs> of this on a computer. Which right? they moved to this uh, situation after they had a dust up. I think in 2007, where they discovered that when you have when you do the exams face to face, people who come from, you know, women who are wearing headscarves and people with brown skin basically fail at a much higher rate than than white people do, <laughs> of course, because of implicit sort of bias on on behalf of the people doing the exams. So they, they've switched to this this computer system where you do all the recordings into a computer, which is also very weird and awkward. The first portion of it is you watch a series of video clips. Um, so you watch like two people have a conversation and then you have to yeah, speak into the microphone and tell them what the next thing would be. So it's like, you know, do you want a cup of tea? And then you have to like reply to this sort of thing. And the second section is a series of video clips where someone asks you a question and you have to answer it. And so those are questions, you know, along the lines of, you know, what do you think of the weather in the Netherlands? Mm -hmm. Um, Answer also, you know, and include in your answer what the weather is like in your home country. So you have to say like, you know, I find the weather here great and the weather in my home country is much warmer than it is here or something along Mm -hmm. those lines. But yeah, you get no feedback. So, I mean, you do get a number score at the end of it, but it doesn't give you any sort of, yeah. indication of your correct answer yeah. or not if
2: I don't complain about, if I don't complain about the weather is that an automatic fail I so believe so yeah, yes yeah. Um, you're so,
1: British uh, Gordon no, well, no more, problem
2: more, there more, more, more particularly from Scotland where yeah. it <laughs> rains about three times as much as yeah, it yeah. does here and yeah right. I come here and everyone complains about how much it rains and Molly is there
1: any historical part of the Inbroking 6M yeah
0: so in the uh, cultural preparation one of the things that you have to know is the first it's not the first three le- uh, stanzas or whatever of the national anthem but it's like the three that you guys sing, because it's like one, two, and then yeah, seven or yeah. six. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you have to be able to, there's there some questions about, you know, okay. former historical figures, and you have to know all the provinces and all the capitals. Those are like some questions that are on there. Which, Friesland? The capital of Friesland <laughs> yeah. is Leawarde.
1: You passed. Thank you. <laughs> you passed the Dutch News exam. Yes, I passed the Dutch very News Emburdering exam.
0: Yeah, well, so on that note, Dutch News, as an organization, we have been discussing sort of doing our own kind of Emburdering <laughs> exam, which I think yeah. would be very funny. But all also, as part of my series of doing the Haring's courses, I'll be writing the final one when I get my permanent residency. But then the editor has asked me to do one more, which is all the stuff that the Haring exam doesn't teach you. It turned out covers to a lot of ground. Covers yeah. a lot of ground. One because there's absolutely nothing on here about cycling at all, so oh, no cycling yeah. <laughs> rules, none of this stuff, which you think would be crucial. You uh-huh. have to
1: go to primary school. For yeah, that. you have to go to <laughs> yeah. primary
0: school here for that. We, I discovered upon moving in with my Dutch boyfriend that there are a bunch of like really weird things that even though i had been living here for five years had no idea
2: so you didn't know about the uh, the, the birthday calendar in the toilet right uh,
0: yeah so this is one thing that no one taught me also that you're supposed to tip the kids that deliver your free newspaper which i didn't know and so they turned up around christmas and i was just like why are you here and they handed me some sort of flyer and i closed are, the door in their face are you another
1: hun links campaigner <laughs>
0: Oh, that you have to send your meter reading in from the electrical company every year, which is like not a thing that you have to do in America. So I'd literally never done this. And my boyfriend Niels, when I was moving out of my last apartment, was like, "Did you ever do this before?" And I was like, "No, yeah. like I didn't know that this is a thing you were supposed yeah. to do." Well, so really, I ended up getting like almost a thousand euros back from my electrical company no. because uh, they've been yeah. overcharging me for yeah. the yeah, last four true. years. Well,
2: the good news here is that they're bringing smart meters now, where they can read it remotely. And don't, you don't yeah, so then you figures. won't have to do that. Yes. So yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: hopefully it won't be hacked by a
2: then. Yeah, yeah, and on, uh, I had a question about the national anthem because uh, what was it like to discover that in learning about Dutch identity? You learn about uh, how old Dutch people have German blood and worship the Spanish
0: and king, worship right? the Spanish yeah. king. Yes, yeah. it's all these very like strange sort of things.
1: It's all part of history, Molly. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you should teach You should uh, learn harder.
0: I, yeah. well, I mean, educate
1: yourself, <laughs> Molly. I
0: am quite well educated. I can name all the provinces and all the capitals. But yeah, I mean, I think that this, uh, you know, sort of on a more serious note, is a real. I, I mean, I found this to be a, a major. Time time-consuming thing. I paid a lot of money to my Mm. Dutch instructor. I paid a lot of money in in language or in in course books. You know, and I was very much so supported by my employer at the time to take all this time off from work to be able to Mm. go to the exam center. I'm lucky because there's an exam center in, you know, Reisweig. There's only, I think, five or six in the whole country. So if you live somewhere that's more difficult to get to, it's a real problem. Mm. And, you know, I'm highly educated and have taken standardized testing before. Like, I cannot imagine what this process is like for someone who is sort of not as privileged as I am. Because yeah. it would really... I, I found it to be very exhausting to go through this for a whole year. I can yeah. only imagine what that's like if you are, a, you know, a single parent with a couple of kids who does not speak English fluently.
2: And, and at the end of it, did, do you
1: feel any better integrated into Dutch society as a result of doing this? No, absolutely not.
0: <laughs> I mean, you just... There's just yeah. nothing that's like sort of... That's like,
1: the entire point of this test, yeah. that it helps you... And I integrate. do think
0: that when because I came here after they sort of ended this or were in the process of ending this like sort of council sponsored integration courses from what I hear from people who took those they actually felt a little bit better about the process essentially because not because you learned anything in the class that was useful but at least you were in a class with a whole bunch of people and with a
1: Dutch person in front of it which you can ask questions about the Netherlands and about Dutch culture
0: right and you get this like a bit of like camaraderie stuff so you get to meet like lots of new people it was a good opportunity I think for people to come of meet other people who had just moved here like learn a little bit more about how to integrate ask each other questions about you know where do you find this thing at the grocery store oh yeah. is this thing yeah. weird kind of stuff so i almost wish as much you know as little as i want to spend you know three hours you know for eight weeks at night in a in a class after working for 40 hours mm. a week i almost wish that they had had something like this that was mandatory when you know when i was going through this process because i think i would have gotten a lot more out of it in terms of integration
1: yeah well to us you're you're still dutch
0: i'm very Dutch yeah. now. I mean, yeah. I can buy furniture home from Ikea and exactly. complain yeah. about the weather yeah. and NS. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: Gordon, for us, in our hearts, you will always be an EU citizen. <laughs> <should this be. laughs> well, I always feel it uh, myself <laughs> as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah so, so, so
0: Gordon, do you think, are you looking forward to going through this process now?
2: Uh, no, not at all. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> <Get away. laughs> When did you arrive in the Netherlands? Uh, <laughs> I actually arrived here uh, almost exactly three years ago. Brexit is uh, well, it's just started, so officially they've got two years. So, so we oh, are just going to miss end it. Unless it takes a bit longer which it might um, yeah I'm going to end up about a month short so if anyone wants to hire me as a cleaner or a taxi driver <laughs> but preferably not as a chef then get, there, then get, in, get in touch with the uh, email address at the end
0: in a lovely news because you came here after 2013 not only will you have to do the five language portions <laughs> and the culture portion you will also have to do the employment portion oh great so in the process of the embarkering you can learn how to find a job uh, yeah. as a cleaner or as a, a cash register person well, hey, that, hey, that, that, that well, could be I'm invaluable yes. yeah. 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 so I think that yeah. that will be in between
2: speaking my sentences uh, my Dutch sentences into a microphone
0: alright well I think that that's a good uh, a good a good spot to end although I could uh, go on endlessly complaining <laughs> about the uh, integration yeah, we can do
1: a different podcast about can we do a whole exam. podcast
0: where Molly just, just gets to rant open. about the integration we, we, exam. We just,
2: maybe we can just filter the whole, um, the whole course can we just read the course book and, the, and yeah. just
0: mock <laughs> the ridiculousness of the yeah. questions but I'm read
2: them out in your, in your best Dutch accent yeah. now that you're officially <laughs> Dutch
0: my, my, uh, my best Belgian American accent because my Dutch instructor is actually Belgian Oh so, God, it's really the terrible. worst
1: accent it, I can possibly imagine. It is the worst. <laughs>
0: well, wow, I think that's a, a great note to end on. <laughs> that's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at DutchNews.nl. We will include links to everything that we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can send comments, compliments, and abuse by email to podcast at DutchNews.nl. My thanks to Gordon Derrick and Paul Peters. I'm Malik Well, and we'll be back next week.